Hello friends and welcome to the Soft, Hard and Wet. John and I are here today to talk about all things Mexico. Well, maybe not all things Mexico, but at least the Mexican Grand Prix. Mexico City Grand Prix, I believe it's called now. Uh, John, how are you? I'm dandy. Pretty good day for sports. Cowboys had a nice win to start the afternoon, and then we rolled right into the uh, Mexico Grand Prix. Yeah, I have no complaints other than the Rangers losing last night, and hopefully we can fix that tomorrow night. <laughs> Let's keep this focused on an F1 podcast, not a Dallas sports uh, podcast. Well, there's just so much going on in Dallas sports right now. But yeah, pretty, uh, you know, pretty decent little race. I think that, you know, had we just placed some bets on qualifying, we would have expected um, a little bit more movement than there was. Obviously, we had quite a few teams moving around in the standings after this weekend. Maybe before we dive into uh, race talk, can we talk about qualifying for a minute? Because I haven't talked to you at all this weekend since qualifying. Yeah. I mean, we've got two minutes and 13 seconds to cover it, so let's do it. (laughs) All right. Start the timer. So the biggest story out of Q1 was Lando Norris not making it out. Uh, His first lap on softs, he had to abort. Uh, He went over the limits or something like that. And then the last lap, he got hung up by Fernando Alonso's spin. Now, Fernando got through to Q2 okay but he kind of ruined the laps of everybody behind him, or at least half of the people behind him uh, who were coming through that sector because of his little spin. I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like the a lot of it was Lando's fault. And if he would have just gotten a good lap in earlier, then I wouldn't be complaining about Fernando Alonso causing an issue uh, and a yellow flag. Um, Q2 saw, and this was the thing that really had me cautiously optimistic as I'm watching qualifying Q2, I see Yuki Sonoda towing Daniel Ricardo around the track in order to get him into Q3. Right. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is just a a great teamwork because Yuki was going to start from the back anyways, because he took a new power unit. Ricardo's going to start, you know, bottom end of that 10th, 9th, something like that. And then without Yuki towing him around the track in Q3, he goes and puts himself on P4. I thought that was unbelievable. He drove the pants off that car. Yeah, Danny Rick, I mean, all around this weekend, I thought did extremely well. Um, And obviously, we'll get into race results a little bit later. But yeah, to see him come out uh, starting P4, I mean, who knew that Alfa Romeo... Uh, we're going to start nine and 10. I remember kind of sending that text out to our group and, and like, uh, here's Q3 results. Anybody else want to know what the heck is going on here? Cause <laughs> we're all a little bit confused as to what's happening. Cause obviously we didn't see Lando in there at all. And, you know, for those that watched, they knew why, um, for those that didn't, they're probably a little bit, um, uneasy, uh, about why he's not up there, but yeah, a couple of Ferraris to lead us off, a couple of Red Bull and Alphatari. That was a in huge there. shock. The Ferrari one two was a huge shock in qualifying to me because they were anonymous all weekend leading up to that point, and then boom, one two. Holy cow! Where did that come from? Did they find something? Did they not? And then we walk into today. Um, so yeah, I'm ready to talk about the race now. Is that all right with you? Yeah, that's that's fine with me. I think that. Um... How can you be disappointed with those results? Well, I don't know. Maybe when you're starting on pole, that's how you can be disappointed with those results. 
<laughs> but every I shouldn't say every race. The amount of times that Charles Leclerc has started on pole versus the amount of wins he's converted those two is staggeringly low. Like I think it, he has four wins from pole and has over 20 pole positions. That's wild. Now, I mean, in Mexico, according to the experts, which I am not, in Mexico, apparently it's not a very good thing to be starting on the front rows because it's such a long straight to start the race that you're punching a hole in the air and everybody behind you is getting your slipstream right off the start. And we saw that into turn one. So, okay, we have to talk about turn one. Oh, yeah. Three car, three cars into turn one. In your opinion, whose fault was it? Or was it just a racing incident? Turn one, lap one. Was somebody, could somebody have done better there? And if so, who do you shoulder most of that blame on? Checo. I think Checo could have done better there. He was far too aggressive turning in. He thought that he was clear. Clearly, he was not. Um, as I believe the memes that I'm seeing around right now are Red Bull gives you wings and it's the ass end of Checo's car just kind of <laughs> flying in the air, which is <laughs> kind of funny, but not. But I, that's just a testament to what we've seen out of Checo here lately. He has a lot of pressure to perform, even though he's still ranked second, not as far ahead as he has been historically because Lewis is catching. But home race, he wanted to do well. He wanted to perform and he just he was too aggressive off he wanted to win the race on the first turn clearly that's not when you win the race it's when you lose the race yeah i mean it's definitely when he lost it today because it, the red bull i mean off the line were just fantastic ferrari was getting left kind of in the dust to a certain extent and i think had checo been a little bit more patient going into turn 1 he would have found an opportunity within the next few laps to overtake and then just keep a good pace. And he would have ended up battling Lewis, obviously defending, you know, historically or maybe theoretically against Charles and Carlos. Lando was off and on. George was off and on. So it, he would have had his place in the race. What about I mean, what do you think? Am I wrong here? I don't think you're wrong, per se, but I think more responsibility could be put on. Leclerc's shoulders and that's because he was the meat in the sandwich a lot of times you would think ah he's got nowhere to go but when you're the meat in the sandwich and both cars on the outside have their noses in front of your cars like Checo's nose was in front of Charles Max's nose was in front of Charles uh, if you look at the replay from Leclerc's car on the onboard Checo started braking before Charles so Checo was braking and then started his turn. Leclerc broke late to try and hold on to that position, and he wound up going straighter. So as Charles is trying to slow down before he starts turning, Max had already started turning. Charles mm -hmm. is still going straight, and Checo is turning. So because both Red Bulls are turning and Charles is going straight, I shoulder more responsibility and more blame on Leclerc, even though it was just for a, a split second. It was a, a fraction of a second. But if you look at that onboard, that's what I saw. I saw Leclerc going straight, Checo and Max both turning. And if you're the meat in the sandwich, you're the one you, you should have to bail out of that. I, You know what? I, not, I, I didn't catch that. I mean, I was just looking at three wide going into a turn that wasn't going to support three automobiles. And it did look like, Charles had turned late, but I guess that's because he broke late 
and that makes complete sense. It still, to me, looked like Checo was being a little bit more aggressive turning in for sure turn one I, than he should have been. But I don't disagree with you. I guess that's why it was. I mean, what was it deemed by the time it was said and done? Just a, a racing error. Yeah. Two out of the last three races, one of the front runners has been knocked out of the race. Turn one, lap one. Hamilton had it in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Now Perez has it in Mexico. It's a bummer all around. It's a bummer for for F1 to have that happen. It's a bummer, especially this weekend for the fans, because I think Crofty said it. 99% of the fans there were there for one man, and they got to see... They didn't even get to, get to see him make it through the first corner. That's so depressing for that fan base. Well, and you could hear it, too, when when Charles was giving his his interview at the end of the race and walked up and he even said something about all the boos that were coming through. And he's like, listen guys, I'm sorry. I had nowhere to go. Like I apologize that Checo was out. I wasn't trying to take him out of the race. I had nowhere to go. I mean, clearly there's some differing thoughts on that, but that was at least, you know, right after he wrapped up the race, those were his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and full disclosure for you, I just finished watching the race like 13 minutes ago. So I haven't even watched the post-race interviews or the podium celebration or anything. I literally watched the all the cars go across the finish line and then opened up this window and booted up my computer to start talking to you. So I have it's very fresh in my mind, it's very raw. I haven't had any time to digest what happened. So you're going to get you're going to get raw emotion Tom Delicati here. I hope you're ready for it. That is that's my favorite version of Tom Delicati is raw emotion Tom. Given the incidents in turn one that we've seen over the past few races, were you as nervous about the restart as I was, given the fact that like 90% of the field was coming in on hards? I was a little concerned about it, but I thought that it was going to be more cautious just because of what happened on the first lap. Now, I still saw a huge crowd of cars in the back half of the field that... You know, I watched Lando Norris get consumed by the monster that was the back half of the grid off that restart. And a lot of it was just everybody was trying to avoid that contact, to avoid that collision that was going to cause another incident, another uh, retirement. So I do think everybody was cautious, but I do think if it was going to happen, it was probably going to happen closer to the front. Yeah. And now that you, you know, you talk about just, Everyone being more cautious on the restart and Lando dropping back. What did he drop back to? Like he went from 10th or 14th or did he drop back further? First of all, first of all, he got caught by the red flag because he had pitted like two laps before that or something, one lap. And so he was running eighth, came back out of the pits in 10th, back behind Hulkenberg and Ocon maybe. And so he was restarting in 10th, and within the first three corners of the restart, he was in 15th. He dropped five places. And then came back up and finished fifth. <laughs> well, we can get into that a little bit later, because, yeah, that was that was a very, very impressive drive from him. I mean, he was driving like a man possessed, and especially after the restart, restarting on mediums, I thought, okay, this is, I see the idea here but this is aggressive in terms of trying to make these go till the end. And not only did they go till the end of the race, but he had incredible pace throughout that entire 35 laps or whatever it was after the restart. 
I mean, he fell back for the first few laps and then charged through the field. He, he passed 10 drivers during the last tire stint. That's very impressive from him, including his teammate. Yeah, I think that's a smart, it's a smart decision by uh, Andrea, Andrea, Andre. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but you know who Let's I'm talking about. Let's just call him Dre. Dre. Uh, yeah, it was smart by him to just go for go for the points that they could get, uh, support the driver that had been floating through the field, as um, as you had mentioned. He, yeah, he was he was on fire today. There, there were quite a few uh, drivers in general that I thought just had a really good showing. Lewis seems to be back. I know I was on the Lewis train last week a little bit, and I'm not. I'm still kind of on it. I guess it, he drove spectacularly this this weekend. Uh, the race was clean. He was moving up a few spots. He drove really well. Charles did decent. Carlos did decent. Although you didn't hear much from Carlos during the race, which I thought was kind of odd. Carlos was just kind of a a constant. Yeah, well, and it's not, not even that, but we're talking about Ferrari here. So if Ferrari has a very anonymous day and still finishes 3-4 and don't give us all these talking points about strategy and management and you know decision-making and all that stuff, that's a win for Ferrari. Ferrari had a good day, and there's really nothing to talk bad about them. Yeah, they didn't seem to struggle with tire deg like they have historically, which made, you know, kind of one-stop, two-stop strategies a little bit more apparent for how they wanted to attack the race. For I think Ferrari, if they can, if Ferrari can just, one of them finish on pole and one of them finish two or three in quali, um, and then start the race that way and just plan on falling back a few because they're just not good enough to finish P1, P2 in a race. Where the hell did AlphaTauri come from? When I see Daniel put it on P4 in qualifying, I'm like, oh, that's super cool. This is, but I, in no point in my mind did I think AlphaTauri's turned a corner here. This might, they might do something with this. This might turn into something. No, I went to bed last night thinking this is going to be the Haas 2023. This is, is going to Haas as hard as they can on Sunday, and they are going to find each other in P12 and 13, that's where, you know, Yuki's going to come up to 13th and Danny's going to fall to 12th and they're going to finish side by side holding hands. And I was shocked at how good, first of all, Daniel was mm-hmm. uh, and keeping that car. He, he converted a P4 start to a P7 finish. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And he was running sixth for the, a long, long time in that second or that final stint after the restart. So that's super impressive to hold on to those points, to hold on to that high place. Yeah, and Yuki wasn't doing that bad. He was battling, if you remember, he was battling Oscar there for a couple of rounds, and then on the last time, kind of Yuki was being a little too aggressive and and had a spin out and went back and was you know slamming the steering wheel and then kind of fought back up from there. So, I mean, both of them together were doing well. Let's talk about that, though. So we played Whose Fault Is It with uh, Lap 1, Turn 1. In the Yuki Piastri tangle, who do you portion the blame on on that one? Yuki. Turned in way too early. 
Yeah, uh, the first time that they almost bumped, I think you could have gone either way. What was that, a lap or two before when they were battling? Um, And, you know, you could have gone either way. But when when Yuki spun out, that was clearly his, that was his issue. That was his error. Yeah, and I couldn't tell because, I mean, every driver, super competitive. And when something happens to you in the moment, I know your first initial reaction and your raw emotions is, someone did this to me. You know, it's Mm. very victim mentality and very vindictive towards the person who did it to you. I think with a, with a clear head, he'll be able to go back and watch the replay and think, okay, I messed up there. Well, you would, you would hope so, but Yuki kind of cracks me up because on and off the track, that guy is, he's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to me. (laughs) Cause when he's on the track, his radio his cussing, his yelling, his screaming, his what the, you know, and then off the track, he's, you know, they, he gets interviewed and they're like, yeah, so, um, you know, letting him through or doing this. He's like, yeah, that was team orders. That's just what they told me to do. And he's just kind of quiet to himself and kind of a jokester a little bit. And then you get him out on the track and he is angry. I have one more thing written down in terms of whose fault is it? And I want your opinion on this one too. This is a little further down the grid. It was when uh, Lance Stroll had a little tangle with Valtteri Bottas. And it took Stroll, it spun him out and actually took him out of the race. I think you know what I'm going to say, but you go ahead. Let's hear your thoughts, Thomas. Well, I think this one was a little more 50-50 for me. Just I've only seen it. I saw it real time and then I saw it the replay. So I really haven't had a whole lot of time to digest this particular incident. I would portion more of the blame on Bottas on this one. Both of them were just being a little fussy. They were being a little uh, little childish about the fact that they were fighting over, what was it, 14th place or something like that at that point in the race. Neither one of them were in the points. Nobody was uh, doing anything spectacular back there. There wasn't a whole lot of time left for them to make a charge up the field. So finishing 14th, who cares about 13th? And I think both of them, both of them share blame, but I'll put a little bit more on Valtteri. Well, Aston Martin isn't doing themselves any favors. Well, with both cars not finishing, that's not great. So let's cover a little bit of Aston Martin here, because a few weeks ago, we were still talking about the fact that Fernando was carrying the team on his back. There was a bit of a gap in the constructors. And, you know, given the performance of the car and some of the upgrades that they've made, there was a chance that they could just hold their position through the remainder of the year. And obviously with a double DNF today, that's just not the case. They are continually falling out. Uh, McLaren now is, you know, ahead of them by 20 points. They're, they're far enough ahead of Alpine where they're not going to get caught, but they're definitely not in the fight anymore for fourth. That's terrible. When you started the season as strong as you did, and you were almost further away from Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, you're closer to Alpine. Well, and the only reason they're there is because of the way they started the season. They started off, well, I say they, Fernando started off really well, driving consistently. The The car seemed to have pace. Lance wasn't doing much to help other than throwing some points every now and again. McLaren, obviously, over the past, what, three or four races, we've been flabbergasted as it were of how well that they've been doing and the adjustments that they've made. Um, and now they're, you know, 
are they fighting for a position with Ferrari? I, I don't know if there's enough races left for them to make up that gap, but I mean, they've solidified themselves in fourth for sure. It's incredible. And I know we've talked about this, you know, week after week, but it's still, it's a huge story. The fact that McLaren started the season as bad as they did and that Aston Martin is finishing the season as bad as they are. Well, and it's crazy to me to think that Fernando is still fifth in the driver's standings at this point or tied for fourth with Carlos, both at 183 points. That's, I mean, clearly that's not going to last for, for much longer. Lando is on his tail, you know, at one, 169 to 183. Carlos is is consistent. So he's going to continue to jump up. Lewis has been absolutely killing it and is only 20 points behind Checo. If he continues to get podiums, obviously, you know, Checo's got a a, a chance at losing his spot over the next three races. You know, two, three, four is going to be pretty exciting. As you, as you say that, here's something that I'm, I'm realizing. So we've only released what three episodes of this podcast, but last week, I am fairly certain that Lewis Hamilton himself listened to this episode. So because of what he did in CODA with the disqualification, he heard me say that Checo pretty much completely wrapped up P2 in the Drivers' Championship because he's got to outscore Checo by 10 points a week. And I just didn't see that happening over the course of the last four races. And then Checo decides to just fall apart this weekend on Sunday, and Hamilton rides to P2, and now it's a 20-point game with three races to go, which is way more doable for Hamilton than it was 40 points over four races. You're talking now 20 points over three races. That was a huge, huge jump. So thank you, Sir Lewis Hamilton, for listening to our podcast, taking my opinion seriously, and going and doing something about it. You know, we should have him on uh, next week to discuss the impact that that your thoughts had on him and the strategy moving into to Mexico this weekend, because clearly it worked. We'll have our producers talk to his people and uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on the uh, booking of <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. But yeah, it, this, it kind of makes me think of, you know, in Coda when Lewis was fighting, trying to get up to P3 and, you know, engineer was telling him, Hey, listen, like P3, you're going to get there. Like we're fighting for P2 right now. And now after this finish, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, Hey, Lewis might've been fighting to solidify himself, um, in third, uh, for the driver standings and has a clear shot at second place. If Checo doesn't start making, uh, smarter decisions, I'm going to say, um, yeah, he's going to get overtaken and Lewis would have done it last week had he not had the DSQ. Okay, so we've talked about Lewis and how well he's done uh, over the past few races. Historically, we were talking about George and whether or not he was fighting to position himself as, you know, the new top driver at Merck. And clearly that's not the case. He seems to be quite emotional about his standings, uh, where he's placed, qualifying, obviously hitting the wall in Singapore is he, I mean, is he running through some of the same mental issues that we're seeing Checo deal with here lately? Is he just in a slump? Um, you know, what, what's, what's going on with him? My feelings about George is that I don't feel like we know 
which George Russell is going to show up each race weekend. We might get a very calm, very clean, very focused George Russell, or we might get a George Russell who gets rattled by one or two things, whether it's before the race or during the race or during qualifying. And I don't feel like he's able to shake it off within the race weekend. I don't think he carries it race weekend to race weekend, but he is consistently being outperformed by Hamilton right now. Even though he might be outscoring him every now and then in these weekends, he's not, he's not out qualifying Hamilton regularly, but I don't think it's necessarily a mental block for him. So this is a bone to pick with the TV production crew for Formula One. Over the last few weekends, they've been under some scrutiny in terms of showing us boring elements that might be happening at the front instead of showing us good battles that are happening for 7th, 8th, 12th, 13th. Great on-track battles, and instead we're going to show uh, five laps to close the gap between second and third place, and they're six seconds apart right now. So like, why are we seeing that instead of seeing a good on-track battle? And George Russell was the focus of my point for this mini rant that I'm on here. When he was battling Daniel Ricardo, or when Daniel Ricardo was trying to charge for Russell at the very end of the race, they were doing an excellent job of showing it. They were focused on that battle, and we saw it. We saw Ricardo closing the gap on the straights. We saw him coming up right behind Russell. And then, and I get it. It's a big deal. You want to show the winner of the race cross the finish line, and that's a big deal. But they they switched over to Max as he's going through the 30-mile-an-hour stadium section. And you watch, and they still had the timing graphic on the screen of the battle for sixth place or whatever it is. And it was down to 0.03 seconds. They are literally wheel-to-wheel -wheel at that point nose to nose, and we are not seeing it. So they cut away from it at the best possible point of the battle. And we watch Max going 20 miles an hour through the stadium section instead. And we talk about, oh, yes, it's an incredible 16th win of the year. It's never been done before. I get that. I get it. But you just robbed us of some great, great wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing in that moment. Whoever is in charge of that TV broadcast needs to go to prison for the next five years. Well, that's a perfect time, Tom, for you to press the red button on your remote, and you Piss can tune into any driver the red you want. On the Sky Q, <laughs> Sky Glass remote. For all those paying clients and customers, press the button on your remote for. Had I have been subscribed driver. to that uh, uh, paid service, I would have dialed in the onboard footage for George or Ricardo in that moment. That would have been fantastic footage to see. But we, as, as a casual viewer watching the TV broadcast, we got robbed. That's all I'm saying. I don't disagree. Do you want to see Max cross the finish line and make some history? Yes, but I also yeah. don't need to see him go through the stadium section. That's true, because you know he still had one more turn before he's hitting the checkered. After going through that, I think it's just one of those. It's an iconic shot. So they want to get that in and like, look at him go and look at the Barf. crowd, which, yeah, well, you know, which they were. It's funny because they were talking about the crowd as well, leaving like Buxton said multiple times, oh, 90 percent of the crowd's leaving. But then every time they panned to the crowd, it seemed fairly full to me. 
And, you know, if we're going to talk about production here, were they playing up the fact that Checo was out on turn one and 99% of the fans were there to see one driver? And since he's not there, they're going to leave. I mean, I find that hard to believe because Mexico is top three. It's the second or third most expensive Grand Prix on the circuit, like from a, a ticket standpoint, uh, a accommodation standpoint like it's an expensive race to go to and i would find it hard to believe that because your driver's out on turn one you're like well let's go to the bar and do whatever else i didn't see anyone leaving i guess is the point i'm trying to make i I would agree with you and i didn't get a chance to see uh who was leaving through the actual turnstiles at the exits but i would make the assumption that you're right because this grand prix comes around once a year We are spoiled in the United States this year to have three Grand Prix. And then you think of everybody, all the fans in Europe and even Southeast Asia, like there are in the Middle East, there are multiple races that come through that part of the globe. In Mexico City, maybe some of those fans come up to Austin. Maybe some of the fans in the southern United States go down to Mexico City. But I, I, I would think it would be the other way around. I think if anybody is coming to those races it's fans from mexico coming up to the united states to watch in miami in austin and potentially las vegas more than it is fans from the united states making the trek down to mexico city and so that fan base in that area yes they're there to see checo and they're there to see checo succeed and uh or even just be on track and he couldn't even do that today but i don't think it made them all rush to the exits they're there for that grand prix that's not coming back until next year of course they're staying the amount of money they they spent the amount of time they've taken just because their drivers out today doesn't mean they're walking to the exits yeah if if anything it might actually create a little bit more of an enjoyable experience because when you're when your driver is 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 battling and and fighting it's super exciting right when your driver's down at the bottom it's not super exciting and obviously when your driver's max and he's at the top and he's doing it consistently it's not all that exciting but you still want to see him win but it seems to me that if you were there to see checo and checo's gone it gave you an opportunity to really just experience the race as an experience and not necessarily going in to to now pull for a driver and have a lot of um like uh, emotional um emotional investment in the race. Now you're just experiencing it. So last week before the race, we gave our predictions for pole and then three, two, one, pole and podium. Two points for pole, correct. One point for third, two points for second, and three points for first. Now, last week, you shot out of the gate. I, I I finished with zero last week with our USA predictions, and you took home four points. That was a big snag of points for you, so congratulations on that. This week, as we talk about Mexico pole position review, I went for Verstappen, and you went for Hamilton. So no points for either of us. For third, you had Lando Norris. And as great of a drive as he had, he couldn't do enough to come up to the podium. I had Sergio Perez, and that dream died at turn one. 
for second place on the podium, you had Sergio Perez. You thought it was going to be a Red Bull 1-2 this weekend, and mm-hmm. that did not pan out for you. So you were sitting at zero points so far this week, and I score my first points of our little battle here with Lewis Hamilton finishing second. Good pick. It was a good pick. And then we both chose Verstappen to win, so that's three points apiece. So the current standings after two races of choices, uh, predictions, you have seven points and I have five. So still pretty close. We've got three races to go. I'd love to see how this pans out. we got to put some wager on this in order to make it really interesting. Um, We'll have to come up with something good for that. So now to preview the Sao Paulo Grand Prix weekend, third leg of a triple header. This is just, I don't know what to do with myself with all of this racing that we've had the last couple of weeks and going into another race weekend. This feels great. I want to keep this up. So it's another sprint weekend, which is probably going to suck, but I love this track. I think it's a fun, fun track to drive in the uh, F1 game. I think the drivers enjoy it. Hopefully it gives us a good, solid sprint weekend. We're not going to predict anything for the sprint. We're just going to focus on pole position in the main race, which again, qualifying happens on Friday. We might try and squeeze in a little talk before then. We'll see how it goes. But at a minimum, Friday qualifying. John, for pole position after one free practice. Mercedes have historically done well here. Um, And I know that Lewis likes this track. I've been on a little bit of a train uh, with him lately. So I'm going to go with, uh, although it was disappointing last week, I'm going to go with Hamilton. I don't see, this is, this is interesting because I could totally see Max taking pole by like five or six tenths of a second. Like he's, he could just come out and demolish this, but the last few races he does. It, it seems like he's been a little vulnerable in terms of somebody out qualifying him. I still think he's, Miles ahead of everyone in the race. But in terms of out-qualifying him, I feel like he's been vulnerable lately. So I don't mind that you picked Hamilton for pole. It's easy for me to fall into the trap of, gosh, Charles Leclerc has had two consecutive poles. Could he make it a third? Could Ferrari, in general, make it a third consecutive pole? And the answer to that is no, they can't. And I will take Lando Norris for pole position. Picking with your heart, and I like it. John, last week, I gave my predictions, and I did not have a McLaren anywhere near the podium or pole position. And you know what happened? They were nowhere near the podium or pole (laughs) position. So I am choosing to give them some good vibes, some good juju, and I'm going to say Lando's going to take pole in Sao Paulo. Third, let's go with... um... Man, let's go with Carlos Sainz for third. I think that's solid. He was silent this week, and I think he's going to race really well in Brazil. He could still be silent and finish third, and that would be a great result for Ferrari. Are you going to stick on some McLaren here, or are you going to pop off to another team? I am going to pop right off. Give me Lewis Hamilton for third place. Ooh, okay. Okay. Now for second, I'll go back to my heart and I will choose Lando to finish second. 
I think Hamilton finds himself another uh, another podium this week, and I'm going uh, Hamilton for P2. Well, I agree with you that Hamilton should could find another podium this weekend. He's just going to finish third instead of second. Well, we'll see, because I'm currently leading in points, and uh, I don't know, but I only out-predicted you because you decided to go against Max on like our first round, and that was clearly the wrong choice. All right, who's going to take home the win? I can't give up three points on a win if you get Max right and I don't. So it's almost like I have to choose the same person that you choose in this case. Um, well, I think you just have to choose Max. I feel like that's the smart thing to do. And although of the vast majority of my days on this earth, I don't feel smart. I feel like this is the smart thing to do. And I'm going to take Max for step and to finish first. Bingo. That's what I like to hear. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? You know, I'm excited about Brazil. Um, iconic race, lots of rich history, great fans. We talked about Coda and how, um, you know, people just pick up on the culture. I think Brazil's another one of those where there's a lot of culture in this race. Um, a lot of, um, man, we're going to see just a lot of what Brazil has to offer from, uh, just a people standpoint, fantastic fans should be another really good race. Um, weather plays into Brazil sometimes, you know, they could have some rain move in and a uh, change in weather always makes things a little bit more interesting, but, um, not guaranteed should be a good race though. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much for being with us and, uh, listening today. See you next time. Bye.